As the Isle of Man finally signs up to the Paris Agreement agenda, asks is it worth the paper it's written on. The Infrastructure Minister gives us some insights into road tax and looks forward to its future reform. And former chair of the MUA explains the electricity price hikes. This week we've got three interviews that I've not been able to squeeze in on previous shows, but reckoned you'd like to hear. So, to begin with... Tim Johnson was just leaving his role as MUA chair to become Enterprise Minister when I asked him about the legacy he's leaving new MUA chair, Tim Krukel, MHK. Look, this is this has been an ongoing challenge, Phil, for a couple of years. Um, we, you know, if, if we can cast our minds back to even before um, Ukraine was invaded by Russia, gas prices were already running at three or four times what we saw traditionally. Um, and, you know, we'd seen very stable wholesale gas prices for years running between that sort of 30 to 60 70 pence a therm for years that is basically what where we were and all of a sudden we saw these changes coming post-covid big big changes big demand in, in, in asia for example for, for gas we saw a lot of maintenance going on in in europe there's some, some very cold weather prices were already starting to go up and then we had this this major issue in in ukraine and i, you know, I think sometimes we have to as an island, as a community, just stop and look up and look out sometimes and just look at what's going on globally and understand that some of the effects that we're all facing are things way out of our control. Gas prices have been up to 10 times what they've been historically, and they were last autumn. Yes, they've come down a great deal, and I know some of the questions are about, well, gas prices are coming down, why electricity prices are going going up because yes gas prices are coming down but they're coming back down to a level that's still three or four five times more than they were historically and ultimately Manchester Utilities as a business buying that gas it uses that gas to make electricity it cannot function paying paying a price for a product and not getting a return back from it in tariffs we've we've done it for a period of time and we've absorbed huge amounts of, of resource doing it but we can't do it indefinitely and that is where we are today. Now, going forward, yes, we're going to see tariffs go up from 22p to 28p and then up to 34p in July. All I can say is that's tough and that's really difficult for all of us. And I accept that. In the context of where things are globally, look at the UK, we're still going to be having the low, low electricity prices in, than the UK. But I accept that living here today, that, that doesn't help. So there's no point going on about that. It's, it's going to be difficult. But we are, all we're trying to do is making sure that we've got a business that can function and go forward. And you say lower electricity prices than the UK. Is, is that entirely correct? Well, at the moment, if you, if you, if you look at the moment, um, the, I think the average um, domestic price in the UK is around about 32 pence a unit. Okay? We're paying 22 at the moment. It'll be going up to 28 on the on the 1st of April, and it'll be going up to 34 on the 1st of July. Now, the off-gem cap in the UK at present is, I think it's around 34, is around 34p. It's going up to 40p in July. So we, our price will still be becoming below the, the, the UK off-gem prices. In relation to uh, this, should government have done more? I mean, there was a £29 million loan uh, offered, but um, should that not have just been a a, a grant from from government to the MUA to help uh, deal with the uh, immense problems that people have been facing over the last year or so? Well, ultimately, it was up to government how that how that panned out. If we, go, if we go again back to the last summer, when we having when the MUA, the board at the time, obviously I wasn't involved at that stage, having discussions with government, they were making it very clear to government that tariffs would have to go up 70, 80 percent um, to, to try and for the business to go forward. It was very much a government decision that that was that mustn't happen. They brought forward that 
that uh, that £26 million um, option for, and the price freeze that we're still in today. At that time, gas prices were five, six, seven times the uh, normal. Um, now, what we saw over the winter, as I say, is those gas prices have fallen quite considerably. So what it meant was that Manchester Utilities was able to maintain its business as usual through its own resource, and it didn't need to draw down on that £26 million loan. Now, of course, if we take that £26 million, it is a loan. It still has to be paid back. So ultimately, all we're doing is delaying further tariff increases further down the line. And when we, there's, there's no sign of, of wholesale price, um, you know, prices returning back to what we, know, we knew historically, then if, you know, if, we, if we knew those gas prices were going to fall very quickly, you might look at it differently. But that is not, that, that's not looking like it being the case. So all we're going to do is mean we're going to have to pay that back in tariffs at a, at a future date. So we're just passing the book to down the line, which is not helpful, and adding more debt to the bottom line of bank's utilities. This government is into its second year, well into its second year now, um, and we're still not seeing any major developments, any significant moves to substantially insulate the homes on the island, to introduce um, other energy-saving uh, measures. Uh, there's a lot of tinkering, but not really enough to, to, to address some of these long-term issues. I think, as we said earlier, if you look back historically where gas prices were, they were very stable for many, many years. And bottom line was is that at that time, nobody was there wasn't really the demand of the, to do that. I mean, again, we go back to you know, discussions back in the mid two thousands about renewable energy. And again, when it, when you when you priced it against the, exist, the existing gas price at the time, which is running around about thirty four, thirty to forty pence a therm. It just didn't. It just didn't stack up. It, you know, renewables always looked expensive. Now we're in a new world. Things are changing, and, and the reality is now that we we do need to make change. Hindsight, absolutely. You know, you look back and you, these things should have happened, but they didn't. And I, I was certainly critical in previous role as president of the National Farmers Union to, to government for what I felt is 10, 10 15 years of, of of lack of vision, really, which has put us really behind behind the curve, I believe. But so, but what are we doing now? What you know, we've got our 30 megawatts of onshore renewables, which is now being put in, in place to, to start as soon as possible. 10 megawatts of of, uh, of solar and 20 of, of wind. So we're starting, but we sh- yes, this should have been done a long time ago, but it wasn't. Reality is, we're here now, and it's 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 catch up time, um, and uh, that, and that's you know that's what we need to do. That was Tim Johnson in his last interview as MUA chair. Rob Mercer, MLC, made some thoughtful comments on climate change in March. Tinwald, what does he think about the Isle of Man signing up to the Paris Agreement? Um, I think it first was mentioned back in November 2021. Um, uh, so obviously, a lot of time elapsed since then, but but good to see it uh, uh, finally appear. Um, well, it means that that our obligations line up with that, with uh, 195 other nations around the around the world. Um, and I think it it's a recognition that our endeavours to address climate change through the Climate Change Act have been recognised by. The, uh, the signatory body, which of course is, is the UK. It's fair to say that many countries who are signatories to the Paris Agreement um, are far from observing all, all the uh, relevant uh, actions uh, described in the agreement. Is it, is it actually worth the paper it's written on? Uh, yes, I think so. Uh, the, the, there is a, a benefit to collective action 
we're all in this boat together. Um, and to have so many sign up. And yes, at this point in time, there's probably a gap between what people say they're doing and what's actually happening. But I, I still think there's a great benefit in that collective agreement being in place. In relation to actions of the Isle of Man government, I mean, you, you mentioned that uh, this is this probably recognises the the steps that we are taking. Uh, you had some interesting comments to make in relation to the final item on the Timwald Order paper, uh, on the the March Timwald Order paper, uh, and this was effectively. Uh, watering down uh, reporting requirements in relation to actions uh, by uh, small bodies relating to climate change. Yeah, um, I got the sense that, and, and the thing I was disappointed when on first reading of those regulations was this did appear to be a watering down. And I, I think I made the point that it felt as though the first actions by public bodies were to lobby to have the reporting requirements reduced. And that seemed inconsistent to me. And yet it appeared more to be at the department asking small bodies whether they really wanted to do this, certainly uh, from the, the small body that I, I'm in, engaged with. Uh, there was no lobbying uh, at all. It was just a case of um, uh, the department asking, do, 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 do we want to do less reporting than had originally been intended? Who, who actually was lobbying for these reductions in uh, reporting requirements? Um, I don't know, actually, but I, I, got, I certainly got the sense from talking to um, the Climate Transformation Board um, and team um, that there have been, that, that they, were, they felt it more important to bring public bodies with them rather than to, to get too much in the way of pushback. And that's what persuaded me in the end to say, well, let's not let's not wait for, for perfection here. Um, are these regulations better than what we have at the moment? And for me, the answer was yes. And that's why I voted for them. I'd still like to see them more demanding because I think we do need to take greater strides uh, towards meeting these objectives. Do you think that government is showing strong enough leadership in relation to addressing uh, climate change? Well, you've, we've spoken on this before, and um, I've, I've always told you that I'm, uh, I'm an optimistic person. And, and I think looking at the, the progress that government has made, I think we have to give them um, the benefit of the doubt here because there's lots of steps that, that have been made that are happening, that are concrete things. Um, and those, those do give me encouragement. And it's still, I still have that optimism. But we need to keep an eye and we need to you know, keep this, the level of scrutiny up to make sure that the promises being made are being backed up by action. You can be optimistic but point to areas that could do better or need improvement. Absolutely. <laughs> and are you prepared to tell us what areas you would like to see more action on? Um, well, again, I think if, if you'd have asked me that question six months ago, I'd be saying, well, where, where is the renewable uh, energy coming from? You know, there's lots of 
talk about it, but what's happening? And, of course, we've just seen that the MUA um, have commissioned an engineering report from WSP. So that, to me, it looks as though the authority is taking steps to set out its path by which it can deliver what's being asked for by government. We had a target uh, when when I was in in government, uh, 15% by 2015. Uh, We now have a a new target, um, again, similar distance into the future. Um, What, what, I mean, you're you're an optimist, so presumably you are optimistic that this target will be met this time, unlike uh, all previous targets. I think so. I mean, I mean, even if we look back at the the Electricity Act in 1996, there's an obligation on the authority to use renewable energy where where practical. Um, and of course, they haven't, other than a few little bits and pieces with the um, Sulby Reservoir. And arguably, um, you the energy from waste plants, although I wouldn't class that necessarily as green. Uh, or renewable, um, but uh, again, the the fifteen percent by twenty fifteen. I pointed this out. I questioned the the Max um, Utilities Authority uh, here in this room. In fact, um, uh, during the Environment and Infrastructure Policy Review session we had with them, and I asked them about these these policies. What's what wasn't clear in 1996, what wasn't clear in 2015. And I think at those times there was always an argument that those renewable sources perhaps were more expensive than the alternative. Um, Of course, what we have now is we've seen that crossover of cost between the, the cost of generating power by burning things compared to the cost from renewables. And that cost curve is now favoring renewables. And so we can see with the MUA's latest commissioning of that report is they are they do appear to be taking that seriously. And it also helps, I think, that there is now an act of Timwald that also provides legislative weight to these requirements that wasn't there in the past. That was Rob Mercer, MLC. And finally, I interviewed Chris Thomas just after he steered the vehicle duty order through March Timwald. He talks us through this complex and controversial issue. Uh, it is fair to say, though, that uh, you have your detractors in Tinmold. Uh, Minister or former Minister um, uh, of, of DOI, uh, Tim Krukel, uh, was giving a, a history lesson, but, but his history only started in 2016 in relation to vehicle uh, duty orders. I, I, I recall the history going much further back than that, and certainly when I was Infrastructure Minister myself, we were looking at the complete, um, well, I wouldn't say complete mess, but the, the, the muddled nature of the whole way in which we charge uh, for, uh, road tax. Um, it, it would appear, t- at least 10 years on, the department still hasn't uh, managed to, to shed any clarity on, on the, the, the vagueness and confusion in, in, in relation to this. Well, I hope I haven't got personal detractors, especially not in... Uh former Minister Crookall. I hope it's just about engaging with the policies. Um, The department uh, made a definite proposal, as I said in my statement, in 2017 to government, which couldn't get through council ministers when I was in council ministers. That was was, uh, very forward thinking in your terms. Um, 
we did that same thing again and we actually got as far as putting it on the order paper and then it was it was pulled back it's pretty hard to get uh, vehicle duty through given the people the coalition of interests against it we've established some important principles today the first one is that all users except for those um, like disabled people and people who drive motorcycles and um and uh, veteran vehicle owners will pay a minimum of £65 for their vehicle duty. That was a precedent that was set today. I've now now launched a one-year engagement process, and I would hope that the 2024 order, which will also come in um, 1st of April next year, I've now aligned it, second precedent, I've now aligned it again to the financial year. I hope that by that stage we have banded um, approaches based on emissions or weight or something that comes out of the engagement very similar to all the proposals that have been made over the last 10 or 15 years because there are you know and perhaps taking more of fuel duty into account and perhaps doing something imaginative with MUA about electric vehicles that are being charged at home on hugely discounted uh, tariffs that are only available for electric vehicle users we've got, we've got to get inside people's heads to end up with a consensus about what, what's fair because ultimately we need to maintain roads you, uh, there are all sorts of users. They've got to pay a proportion. I gave the figure of £200 or a bit more that every user of the highways has got to pay to have enough revenue for us to maintain the roads and improve them where necessary and bring them back up to the standard we want because there's lots of roads that are subcondition. It's difficult. Um, yeah, it's hard to get through vehicle duties as proved by the fact that nobody's managed it since 2020. And thank you very much to my two more colleagues for voting for it today. So... For, for for the uninitiated then um where i mean obviously what used to be the case was uh, vehicles were charged uh, or, or owners were charged on the size of, of the engine of their vehicles um then we, we had the issue with electric vehicles and there were uh, either no charge or a very limited uh, charge was suggested for those um then we moved on to well maybe we should be charging based on emissions um and we ended up uh, in a bit of a mess with this or when i say we i mean isle of man government ended up in a bit of a mess um what do you think would be the fairest solution to all this so what i've challenged the officers to do is to summarize all the proposals they've made to to council ministers to the public to tim wood over the years into one document which will be the basis of engagement so we'll be writing all that down for you and giving people choices we're not going to have a tick box consultation because that's a bit pointless we're going to actually call for evidence about how we should be doing it and ask detailed submissions based on us presenting all of the alternatives just along the way that you described i think you missed out weight-based approaches to it as well there were ten thousand people who lose out from today's duty the electric vehicles is quite a small number compared to the 10,000 people who have smaller vehicles or low emission vehicles who pay who were paying lower than 65 pounds um, that have, have had their duty increase to 65 pounds and the proportion the pr- proportionate increase to, would depend on how much lower than 65 pounds uh, you were applying previously thank you for them for beginning to share the load but as i said you're still being subsidized by the people who pay more than the 200 pounds plus which is the average uh, vehicle duty that, that that's paid and we've got to come up with a system that's consensus i think we achieved a lot today collectively in tim will because we did vote for an order in 2023 not having voted for one since 2020 i do hope that we when i call for evidence about the the future um 
I do hope that Treasury, um, environmental groups, the general public will make submissions uh, uh, about the evidence that we should be taking into account as we come up with the next order in 2024. It was a bit too much to go straight away to banded electrical vehicle charging, but we do have a plan along those lines because there are some heavier and more expensive electric vehicles and there are some smaller ones. And why, why should all of those be paying £65 any more than everybody who uses a small amount of electricity for heating their home compared to a rich person who might be using subsidised electricity to heat their swimming pool. Why should they all get subsidised the same amount? We've got lots to come in this space. I think one common um, belief is that you get far more money in by way of road, ta road tax than you actually pay out. And that is borne out when you look at the revenue expenditure of the department. Um, what is perhaps conveniently forgotten by some uh, political members is that back in uh, 2010, I think it was, the, the then DOT uh, had its revenue budget substantially cut um, and a lot of the uh, expenditure of the department was shifted into capital expenditure, which of course uh, doesn't appear in quite the, 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 the same way in, in, in terms of the revenue budget. So effectively, you are still spending the money, but you're spending it in a in a way that's not that obvious from the highways budget. Yeah, in, in a very good freedom of information response was uh, issued recently. More is spent on highways in the Isle of Man compared to what's raised on, for vehicle duty differently from in the UK. So there are also complete fundamental differences. So in the UK, you have a a first registration fee which can be quite substantial we don't have that in the in the Isle of Man As the point I made tried to make clearly was that we have many more roads uh, per person in the Isle of Man than we do any, in, 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 in the UK so it's harder to pay for our roads that's why on average people pay more than they would for the same vehicle across we also have lots of people who try to play the system by not not paying their vehicle duty and people who stay too long on UK plates so therefore we're needing to um, up the enforcement which and there have been some quite public occasions when that's uh, that's happened um, recently and um, the reason why we haven't managed to do direct debit as yet is because our law doesn't actually work um, in terms of how we deal with people who are not paying their vehicle duty. Um, it, you know, it doesn't quite work for enforcing it when you miss a, a direct debit payment. And also it's quite difficult to, to put a system in place that meets modern expectations about vehicle duty. So for instance, rates. You know, you can't actually send in an electronic instruction. You actually do have to speak. And I, I, le I now learn that there are three people spend all of their time doing uh, setting up rates, uh, finances. It's not exactly a model system. So we've got a lot of work to do in all sorts of in all sorts of ways. People get the condition of the roads that they pay for. It's nice to think that there's red tape, bureaucracy, and waste, but there isn't too much red tape, bureaucracy, and waste and bad decisions. Basically, the more that's uh, raised for highways, I can absolutely promise you that it's more likely that the pothole outside your house and the residential streets where you live will be fixed sooner we've got a strategic network that needs some work in Balasala village that needs some work between um, fairy bridge and santon every year we have to improve the tt course because of a request from the acu we've got we're doing loads of work and uh, i do think that we get well i certainly get lots of compliments now from people that are very pleased with the work that's been done i also get loads of complaints that work hasn't been done and that some of the work has been overtaken by the weather because we do it's a pretty difficult place to do highways and things do go wrong but people have to remember we have warranties and defects periods basically i do hope 
that the Department of Infrastructure can work with this group of Timwood members and by 2026 we can have a system for financing our highways that's, um, that's accepted cons as a consensus approach to fair financing of highways and also meets our climate change ambition goals and is also perceived as being fair to motorists. I've got Stu Peters in the department as the motorist champion so I do get my ear bent regularly and I really really love the challenge that he provides and I do hope that we can blend perfectly all the different perspectives around paying for our highways and that we can actually make the highways better using public funds in line with what taxpayers, vehicle duty payers want for the, us to use their money for. That was Chris Thomas, MHK. Are you convinced? Is the vehicle duty really a tax to pay for road improvements or just another stealth tax? For now, though, I'm Phil Gorn. Got a Mayo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>